Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm John Kingston, the editor-at-large at Freight Waves. When we launched Drilling Deep almost two years ago, we gave it its name because given my background, which is deep in oil, we'd have an oil segment on it to kick things off, and you needed to drill for oil, so the name stuck, Drilling Deep. Little did we know then that we were getting ready for another period in the oil market, just a couple years away, less than that actually, when the price would be on everybody's mind and where it would have the potential to be a significant political issue. And who could have imagined that it would be occurring at the time when the supply chain, the other thing we talk about here, was under tremendous pressure. But that's what we've got. Our guest today is going to talk about that supply chain from the perspective of the insurance industry, what it's seeing, and what role insurance can have in making it better, or maybe having made it worse to begin with. But first, let's talk about oil, and let's talk about diesel in particular. The weekly price that is published by the Department of Energy that's used for fuel surcharges, that price rose to its highest level since December 2008 this past week. The prior week's price already had been up at the December 2008 level. The latest price is $3.58.6 per gallon. But I think what was more notable about the number was that the the increase for the week was 10.9 cents. That was only the third time in the last 10 years that the price had gone up double digits in one week. One of those three times, if you include uh, this most recent ones, one of those three times was helped along by Hurricane Harvey. So it just shows how stupendous this recent price increase was. We could go on a long time about why. We've talked about that several times in the past. We will talk about it several times in the future, I think. But I do want for now to focus in on something that is having a big impact, but that doesn't get quite as much attention, and that's inventories. Inventory data for distillates, which includes diesel, is tough to come by for the world. But in the U.S., we have the weekly Energy Information Administration report. It comes out Wednesday usually, though this week it was delayed a day by the Columbus Day Observance. It's not like the report goes out and counts all the barrels in storage. It does what a lot of economic reports do. It models the numbers based on a variety of inputs that it gets from companies that send information into the EIA each week. Given that, warts and all, it is considered the most accurate report out there, and people do make trading decisions based on it. So let's look at the recent numbers. The latest report shows that inventories of ultra-low sulfur diesel, which is the product that goes into trucks, are running about 3 million barrels less than the five-year average of the five years that ended in 2019. I didn't do the five-year average that counted last year because it was such an outlier, uh, but the three, the 3 million barrel shortfall is not a huge amount. It's less than 3%, but there is a little tightness there. I think the more interesting number is the day's covered figure for all distillates. Remember, diesel comes from the family of petroleum products known as distillates. Jet fuel is a distillate, but the EIA breaks out jet numbers into their own separate category. So days covered represents the number of days that the U.S. could keep consuming distillate products at current levels if it had to operate just from inventories. And yes, there are other things in there besides diesel, like heating oil, but you can figure if the market for all distillates as a whole is tight, then diesel is too. Recently, That day's cover number has been dropping to levels we have not seen in years. Last week for distillates, it was 31.2 days. The report released Thursday, the day I'm recording this, has it down to 31 days. It has not been that low for early October since 2000. It's important to look at these numbers in comparison to where they are in the calendar. Its inventories have a seasonal rise and fall to them. So while 31.2 or 31 days cover for distillates 
is low for the first week of, of October. There have been times that it's been lower than that, but that might be. But right now, your, your winter is looming, and we're supposed to be building stocks, and we're not. Those tight inventories in diesel can be seen in how the market is acting on its way up. If you take the price of Brent crude oil, which is the world crude benchmark, and you compare it to the price of diesel, you see just how strong diesel has been. That spread was 40 cents per gallon as recently as September 22nd. On Tuesday of this week, it was out to 54 cents. 14 cents is a big move in the spread. A year ago, it was about 16 cents per gallon. But a year ago was a crazy market because of the pandemic. We can talk about that some other time. Now, here is the good news. When making diesel makes you that much money, it encourages refiners to make more of it, and current production levels can be described as healthy. What I find the most incredible about what is going on now is the lack of hand-wringing in the trucking industry over these prices. Clearly, fuel surcharges for those who have them and outright high trucking rates for those who don't are pushing the price of higher fuel down onto the shippers. That's the way they're supposed to work. But I cut my teeth at my first newspaper job in Danville, Virginia in the late 70s, and I covered the trucking revolt from that location uh, over high diesel prices in the spring of 1979. A lot of drivers did stop driving because of the fuel price, and rigs rolled through the street of Washington in protest. The surcharges and high rates are helping this time. But it's important to note one other thing. Trucks are much more efficient these days than they were back then. And so while the high prices may be painful for consumers, as a percentage of the cost of operation, they are nowhere near there where they were more than 40 years ago. And that is good news indeed. We are going to move on here on Drilling Deep. You know, I sometimes think of the insurance business as like the lubricant that allows any business to get done. It only really gets attention when it gets real pricey or there's some other problems. Our guest today is Kurt George. He is the Vice President of Strategy and Marketing at Property Damage Appraisers. And the email that one of his associates sent me caught my eye. He described property or the email described property damage appraisers as the nation's largest independent insurance appraisal firm. And the subject that Kurt would talk about would be, and I'm going to quote here, about how policies and actions by insurance companies are compounding the issues that COVID and labor shortages have created in the trucking industry. And I, I couldn't turn that down. That sounds real intriguing. So, uh, Kurt, welcome to Drilling Deep. Hey, John, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. First of all, can I call your firm PDA? Is that yes, how it's you may. Yeah, let's, let's shorten okay. that up. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but PDA would be just fine. Okay, so public display of affection. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why don't you first talk about PDA and what it does and what you do there? Sure. So, you know, PDA, Property Damage Appraisers, been around since about the mid-60s, uh, family-owned business. But, you know, we are the largest independent appraisal firm. So we get uh, assignments, I mean, daily from all major insurance companies and and, and a lot of, like, private fleet trucking companies, um, last-mile delivery, everything in between. Uh, and our job is to evaluate loss, whether it's been an incident or an accident. Uh, a single vehicle or uh, property to a, a loading dock or something like that, and, and everywhere in between, but wherever there's damage or loss, and the insurance company, rather than them sending someone out, because a lot of insurance companies don't have those uh, departments anymore, whenever uh, you talk to your insurance agent and they say, hey, we're going to send a guy out to look at that, we're the guy that they send out to look at that. <laughs> um, right. Write up a report send it back. And, you know, again, insurance company will say, hey, uh, 
these guys, uh, they hit a sign in the 7-Eleven parking lot. There's some damage to the truck, some damage to the sign. They're putting in a claim. You go out and take a peek at it, kind of see what happened, where the damage is, and how much it's going to cost. Um, and that's our job. All right. So you are not an insurance company. Obviously, you work with insurance. We work companies. with if you name the insurance company, there's a chance that we got an assignment from them within the last 24 hours somewhere in the 50 states. OK. And are you specific to trucking? Not not the whole company, but are you, Kurt, specific to trucking? So I manage um, our fleet division. That is correct. I see. OK. So let's go back to the the statement that caught my eye. Policies and actions by insurance companies are compounding the issues that COVID and labor shortages have created in the trucking industry. That's a, that's a pretty lethal charge here. So why don't we get into it? What are some of the things that you see that insurance companies are doing that are, that are aggravating these problems? Well, I can tell you two things. And, you know, one is uh, the enhanced level of scrutiny, uh, specifically when it comes to claims. And then number two, the um, kind of the the technology and reporting that they have on your personnel decisions, specific within this industry as well. And I think anyone listening today, um, whether it be a safety officer or human resources manager, will tell you that as these uh, as these claims come in, one of the first questions they ask now is, well, who is the driver? And that's logged in and that's kept advantage and you know, kept on board. And then after the second or third time, when it's the same answer, let's say Bob Smith. Bob Smith is the driver on the third time, then the insurance company is pretty going to is going to say, well, if Bob keeps driving for you, uh, we're raising up uh, your premiums or we're dropping you as a client. If you continue to keep Bob um, working for you, it's already hard enough to hire and retain drivers. But then for and it may not even be Bob's fault. And poor Bob, I'm throwing him under the bus here. But yeah. um you know, may not under the truck. Truck. exactly under the truck. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, you know, it's in, in these times and really when driver retention is the number one, the number one thing on a lot of these folks' minds. You know, we went to the heavy duty trucking exchange out in uh, Phoenix in late August, met with about uh, 50 or so individual fleets. And to a man, that is what was said is I've got to hire and retain drivers and anything that is uh, against that, anything that is keeping that from happening um, is just, you know, it's, it's just another nail, you know, that's really keeping people down. So anyways, that's, that's probably one of the, one of the larger things right now. Now, has this, has this increased because of technology that the insurance companies maybe have more records on the Bob Smiths of the world that maybe they didn't a while back? Oh, Absolutely. Well, not only records, but records, cameras, you know, and you've got, and, and again, cameras on the exterior, cameras on the interior, and, and by no means am I advocating for less technology. I think it's fantastic, but that the ability of this technology where 10, 15 years ago, I, maybe uh, you didn't report that Bob was the driver, or maybe they didn't, the insurance company didn't have access to say, all right, send me all the footage, because we're going to evaluate exactly what happened when it happened. And what Bob was doing at the time, um, where there is a time and a place for that, but to, be, to dictate to your policyholder who who drives when and where for you, um, that's that's getting to be a, a a a bigger pill to swallow for some of these fellows. Right, but but you're you're indicating that it is happening, and when it when it does happen, what's going on? Are the are the are the trucking companies firing those drivers, or are they just going to go out and look for a different carrier? 
So different insurance card. Well, not only well, not only that, it's threefold. So in some, you know, reluctantly, if if they want to continue using that insurance company, yes, they need to let the driver go. Second, it's not only just looking for another insurance carrier. Some of them are just all together saying we're going to be self-insured. And we're not even going to have a carrier because the cost is so high or they need to go into a consortium with several other fleets to attempt to uh, you know, mitigate their, their costs from that standpoint. And usually how much more, I mean, companies are such, trucking companies are such various sizes, but it, let's say I say, okay, I'm not going to spend any more on insurance premiums. So I'm going to self-insure. Is there a guideline for how much more money that costs? Not in terms of dollars, because as I said, every company is different in size. You're dealing with a different base. But is there a guideline on percentage? Like, and if that percentage gets too high, then you just say, you know what? I really can't self-insure. It's just too expensive. It really comes down to what their deductible is and how high they want to raise that deductible. So they get with their safety off. And again, everyone listening to it has their own uh, metrics and matrix that they go through. But they get with a safety officer and you say, look, over the last five years, on average, what have we paid out? What what can we kind of count on? And it's the same way where you look at a baseball team will play 162 games. They'll have a shortstop. And the acceptable number of errors for a shortstop over the course of a season is 25. Give or take, it's going to be 25 errors. And you know a shortstop's going to make 25 errors. So Fleet's going to look in and go, how many first-party losses are we going to have? How many third-party losses are we going to have? What do we, you know, how many floors are we going to damage if we're doing last mile and delivery? What's it going to be? And they put that metrics and matrix against their deductible. And as more and more of these insurance companies, look, your deductible goes up, your deductible goes up because you want your premium to go down. And that's really, it's just, it's, you know, it's math is really what it comes down to. I wish I could tell you an exact number, but look, the more trucks you have on the road, the uh, larger uh, your distances and the footprint you cover, you cover the number of incidents are going to go up. And any fleet that says, no, 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 we, we don't have any, we all have them. And we know we have them. Well, let me go back to the original point, though, that that the insurance companies, again, this is the quote from the, the email I got right. that led to you right. being here with me today, that insurance companies are compounding the issues. That, I mean, the, the word compounding has a negative connotation. Yes. Are you critical of the insurance companies for doing this? Or are, is it your view that you know, they're going to do, as you said, their view is to make money for shareholders. Their view is not to pay claims. Are they wrong in doing this or is this just a, a, a new reality? It's not that they're wrong in doing it because, look, all of us are in business to make money, whether it's you, whether it's the fleet, whether it's whomever. And anything that is going to take away from or, pro- or prohibit a company from being profitable, that's not something you want to uh, an endeavor that you want to follow. So for an insurance company to look at a fleet and say, look, this driver is costing us money. You continuing to hire this driver, we are paying out more claims. And the fact of the matter is, if you know, if you had a light bulb in your room and every time you flip the switch, it only turned on half the time, you're going to replace a light bulb because you need light in the room. An insurance carrier said, look, it's costing us money to have this guy drive for you. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, it is it compounds the problem of hiring and retaining drivers and keeping a fleet moving, because what is the number? And what's the number for one insurance company may not be the number for another. Is it one incident? Is it five incidents? Is it, you know, six, six over six months? But what it comes down to it is, look, all of our organizations are here to, to, you know, make sure our bottom line looks good and we stay in the black. And it's tough for these fleets. Um, And especially for them, how do you stay in the black 
when your premiums keep going up. And what causes your premiums to go up? It's not just inflation. It's not just uh, CPI. But what it comes down to is the insurance company is assessing the risk of continuing to carry you. And they're saying the risk is too high. And when it comes down to the driver, the risk is too high for him. And in a time where COVID is keeping people out, at a time when COVID is um, restricting um, you know, employment, not just, oh, are you vaccinated or are you not vaccinated? Does this guy get into a lot of accidents? Does he not get into a lot of accidents? There are a lot of things that are um, stacked up against trucking right now. Um, and it's tough. And it's tough for all of them. So... Now, let's point out that if you talk to somebody in the insurance business under the category of auto, trucks are under auto, I believe, in the, the kind of broad definition in the insurance industry, right? When they talk about auto policies, I think they're talking about all vehicles, correct? Yes, they're going to lump, when they're doing their mass statistics, they're going to lump it together. Now, specifically within the agency, no, though, no, they, they will be separated out. Your, you know, the, the fleet policy and your personal auto policy are going to be written very different. Um, and especially if C, you know CDL is involved, but um, yes, from from their national reporting and their own um, public reports, SEC and stuff, yeah, they lump them all together. And the point is here that uh, anybody in the insurance insurance business will tell you that the auto insurance component of their business hasn't made money for years. So you're running into a reality that they're not not going to keep losing money ad infinitum. They're going to take some steps. They're going to have to. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's not only, you know, auto has been on the decline. That's no secret. COVID didn't help that when it took uh, so many cars off the road uh, as well. And people are reevaluating their policies. But when uh, when it comes down to the insurance company having to take steps, it's no different than a property insurance company. Uh, you know, you get climate change, you have flooding in some areas that you didn't used to have. So all of a sudden those policies are going to have to change let's say in a neighborhood where flooding is more prevalent, the same thing goes for fleet. These policies ebb and flow. And there is most definitely a moving target when it comes to, um, you know, picking and choosing what is the best option for a fleet uh, and a best option for a trucking company. And a lot of times there's no great option. You're just picking the best worst option <laughs> you can stomach. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, clearly, I mean, you, so you, you clearly made your the, the point about how this is affecting the supply of drivers. I'm quite sure the insurance companies feel no obligation to help be a solution to that. That's not their job. So what is the job then of the trucking companies that are facing this reality? Except you know, what else can you say but a renewed emphasis, yet, yet another renewed emphasis on safety? So it's most certainly a renewed emphasis. It's doing everything you can do. As a safety officer, as the as the management and executive team of a trucking company, to say, look, what is going to keep if if we decide to be insured, what is going to keep our insurance premiums down? And if it's instituting um, safety technologies, then it's that. If it's and again, it's a trade off, and it's a it's the best of the worst options. If you have to look at your personnel and see, you know, where the <laughs> who's costing you money changes as dictated by your insurance companies may have to be trade, you know, may, may have to change. It's, it's a slippery slope. It really is. It really is. So what are the disadvantages to going self-insured? Um, really what it comes down to is if there's a catastrophic loss. So if you're self-insured and when I speak of self-insured, obviously we're speaking about the equipment 
Um, not talking about bodily injury or anything like that. At no point ever should anyone say, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll pay off for bodily in, 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 I mean, that'll bankrupt you um, if you're, you're going to be in BI. But when it comes to equipment, you know, it's, it's looking at the advantages and disadvantages. It's looking at, look, do we, for our own fleet, for first party damage, do we have a shop? Do we have enough guys that can, you know, bang it out, uh, re- repair it ourselves? And for first party loss, a lot of these guys, and, and I think your listeners would agree, they're not reporting if it's a single uh, single vehicle accident and it's their vehicle. They're going to take care of it themselves. And, you know, it's going to be fine. It's the ones where someone is making a claim against you. It's the one where you have been the cause of the loss. It's just a matter of, again, it's doing the math and seeing that if it's going to pay off for you. So when a company self-insures, you mentioned bodily loss, do they continue to insure bodily loss and the self-insurance is involved in equipment? That is correct. Yeah, simply because the potential losses in a bodily loss lawsuit or the decision are just massive. They could wipe you out easily. Again, as you can imagine, if, if you know, you know, if, if you're heavy, very heavy equipment down the highway and God forbid, get into an accident that results in multiple vehicles, um, you know, quite possibly large injuries and even death. No, you that that's the end of it right there. When if you have no no cap and no coverage. Um, the losses are going to be staggering. You're going to be looking at eight, potentially nine figures at that point. All right. What are the nuclear verdicts doing to the insurance industry these days? How much of a of an impact are they having? Uh, again, everybody, as I mentioned before, uh, auto insurance in general, which includes trucks, is not making money, yet everybody says the premiums are just going up. Clearly, they're not going up enough to make money, but they're going up enough to make everybody unhappy. And, and I would assume that the nuclear verdicts are one of the things that are driving that. Yeah, what you're seeing a lot when it comes to those types of um, outcomes and claims is a lot of the states are stepping in and there's legislation that is attempting to cap that. Now, you know, of course, you have the other side. Um, you have the insurance companies funding that legislation, uh, working through the elected officials to attempt to put those caps in. And then you have your advocate groups that are fighting the fight on the other side. And a lot of what you're talking about, those fights, they're they're happening in Washington and they're happening in the, in the state capitals all around the country. Um, nuclear verdicts are going to happen no matter what, because there's always going to be that one outlier that's there. The insurance companies do their best to try to spread out. And in the same way that, uh, um, well, I guess you'd say if the San Francisco Giants win the World Series this year, uh, Vegas is going to lose a lot of money because they were hedging their bets at 400 to one that that wasn't going to happen. It's the same way. Insurance companies, it's factored in that there will be X number per year. Um, they don't want it to happen, but it's factored into their budget. Uh, and they're withholding that money, you know, keep holding it back in reserve for potentially when it does happen. But it's really these um, what they can do in the legislative branch to uh, to kind of cap those, I should say. Right. I mean, I know that there's been some tort reform in Texas and there's been some tort reform in Louisiana. Uh, any other states to really watch uh, where you, you see something significant going on? California um, is one one that is on the horizon right now and Pennsylvania is the other. Right. And and what kind of tort reform would you like to see? What what are some of the steps that are in a in a tort reform bill that would be good for the insurance industry? Well, well it's a loaded question because it's good for the insurance industry and then it's good for the the trucking industry, and those aren't always sure. in line, to be quite honest. You know, for the insurance industry, obviously, they want to put a cap on as, you know, as, as quickly and as low as possible uh, where it comes. It's a little tougher for the trucking industry, and I'll tell you why, because it goes both ways. 
um, because they have, you know, plenty of wheels out there that the damage happens to them. They're not the cause of it as well. So there it's, uh, you know, there, there is no easy answer to that because, you know, while on Monday it's your fault, on Tuesday it's the other guy's fault. Um, and so, you know, you may not want to cap on it when it goes the other way. So it's, it's a difficult question to answer, not to be evasive, but because insurance companies want the cap as low and trucking companies, in some instances, they want it low. And in some instances, they want no cap. Strike zone goes both ways. So do you have an estimate on how much you think trucking premiums will be next, will be up next year? I'm presuming they will be up. Yeah, they're uh, going to go up. I mean, seen, do you have any, any guess? Well, I mean, look, insurance and CPI is already going to take it up. Uh, the Fed is saying anywhere from, well, they say three to 5.5, but I think it's going to be closer to 5.5%. So just built in, you're going to see a five and a half percent increase. Then it's going to waver um, again, where states put in caps but also from the companies itself conservative. So conservatively five and a half percent. Some could see upwards of 12%. Wow. That, that is a lot. So yes. anyway, we'll check, we'll check back with you somewhere down the line, Kurt, and we'll talk about it some more. Hey, I really appreciate it, John. Anytime. It, it was such a pleasure to be a guest. Thank you. So our guest today on Drilling Deep has been Kurt George. He is the Vice President of Strategy and Marketing at Property Damage Appraisers. Thanks for being our guest on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freight Waves. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again 